0: Hi, I'm Wilson Gall.
1: And I'm Ellie Roark.
0: We are bringing you the uh, stories and results and questions of some of the most current research about birds. Every episode, we pick one study from the scientific literature, and we talk about it. Uh, So today, our study is um, Migrating Birds Reorient Toward Land at Dawn Over the Great Lakes, USA. This is by Kevin Archibald, Jeffrey Bueller, Jacqueline Smolinski, and Robert Smith. It was published in 2017 uh, in the AUK. So this study is looking at bird migration behavior over the Great Lakes in the U.S. and specifically how birds change their behavior with respect to the shores when they're beginning to start out over a lake, when they're beginning to cross a large body of water. So the study looked at the height that birds are flying at and the direction that they're flying, and it looked to see whether these things change at dawn. So most uh, most small songbirds migrate during the night, so they take off in the evening, they fly through the night, and then when dawn comes they land uh, at stopover habitats to eat and rest and whatever. And so this study is looking at what happens when dawn comes. Do, do birds sort of change the the direction that they're flying to turn around and go back towards land if they've just started out over a big body of water. So um, they look at those things using radar. This this study uses um, NEXRAD radar, and using radar to study bird migrations is a fairly new new phenomenon. So I think in the the mid-1900s or the early 1900s, there was still actually a lot of Well, just nobody knew whether birds flew over the Gulf of Mexico or flew around it, staying over land. And there was debate about this in the ornithological literature. And it was sometime around the 1950s or 1960s that radar was first used to study this question. And they they discovered that actually there are big flights of birds that head out completely over the water of the Gulf of Mexico. So that was sort of the beginning of radar in um, studying bird migration. And this study is continuing to use that method.
1: So, like Wilson was saying, the radar stations that they used are like weather radar stations, essentially. Um, They're using weather station data, and the weather stations that they selected uh, to gather data from were in Cleveland, Ohio, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Green Bay, Wisconsin. So they were looking at a 100 kilometer radius around these weather stations located in these cities and these are positioned pretty well to um, show us what's happening on the shorelines of the Great Lakes. So the Green Bay weather station and the Grand Rapids weather station both have shorelines on Lake Michigan within that 100 meter or 100 kilometer radius and the Cleveland Weather Station gives us a a look at the, at Lake Erie. So essentially the study was trying to examine three things. Basically the height that birds are flying on migration, the direction they're flying, and their density in the air. And they're looking at changes in all three of these things based on whether the birds are flying in the beginning of the night The middle of the night or if they're near dawn, whether the birds are over water or over land, or whether they're on the near shore of the lake or the far shore of the lake. So we're going to be using those terms near shore and far shore a fair bit. They use them a lot in the article. Basically, if you think about birds migrating north during spring migration, um, the near shore would be the first lake shore that they come to while they're heading north. So um, either the southern or eastern side of the lake, essentially. And then the far shore would be on the western or northern side, and that's um, the side birds hit as they're continuing
0: north. So near shores are the shore right before the bird crosses the lake. Far shores are the shore after the bird is, is finishing crossing the lake.
1: Yes, exactly. So essentially the researchers looked at this weather data and were trying to track the flight height, direction, and bird density on spring migration. And they did this, they looked at data from four years, from 2010 to 2013, at all of these weather stations. And of course one of the big challenges with using radar for a study like this is you have to figure out what on the radar is birds, is a group of birds, rather than what is something else, because of course radar is picking up all kinds of things. So um, essentially the authors removed days where they picked up precipitation on the radar and they removed data that had weird artifacts, um, radar artifacts, which we won't get into right now, but um, they took that data out and then they removed things that the radar that picked up that was things that the radar picked up that were slower than about 10 or 11 miles per hour. Um, because birds on migration are estimated to be moving 15 to 50 miles an hour. So anything slower than that might be a mass migration of insects, for example, rather than birds. So what they found is that at dawn, migrating birds actually increase their flight height and definitely change direction. So there have been a couple other studies in the past that have found this same phenomenon. And this study is consistent with those. Um, It it seems like birds are uh, flying higher at dawn to uh, maybe look at both shores. That's one of the hypotheses about why this ascent happens at dawn, Um, to be able to see both shores of the water body that they're over, and then make an adjustment in their flight direction based on whether they're going to turn around and stop over at the near shore habitat or that they're gonna continue on across the water to the far shore habitat.
0: This dawn ascent phenomenon has been documented uh, in quite a few other studies in, in various places. Um, uh, the Atlantic seaboard of the US and the Mediterranean Sea and some places like that. Um, but, so it's known to happen frequently with a lot of different birds, but I don't think anyone really has a good grasp on why it happens yet. Uh, the authors in this study Sort of estimated the birds, the height, the altitude that the birds were flying at, and estimated the width of the Great Lakes, and they estimated that the birds would, in fact, be able to see over to the the far shore of the Great Lake at the altitude that they climbed to. Um, so, so conceivably, the birds could be looking at that far shore and seeing how far they have to go and deciding whether to turn around or not. Um, but. That hasn't ever been, I think, rigorously tested in any way. And I don't think anyone has taken a good look at whether birds only fly just as high as they need to, to get a view of that next shore, uh, or, or, um, you know, do they ever do that climb, but, but never get high enough to see a far shore on bigger water bodies? Because if they, if they're climbing at dawn and not getting high enough to see all the way across the water body, um, that would suggest they're not really judging the distance to the shore, unless, of course, they're just getting high enough to decide, well, there's no land anytime soon, and then they turn around. But um, but anyway, the, the Dawn scent happens with a lot of birds in a lot of places, it seems, um, but I don't think anyone really knows why yet.
1: These authors did find that um, the height that the birds uh, ascended to at Dawn increased the wider the lake was that they were flying over so that might be suggestive of the theory that they're trying to see both shores but
0: yeah that's right and also they had the 3 you know they had the three different radar stations at cleveland grand rapids and green bay mm-hmm. and actually at, at the cleveland station they didn't see any increase in bird height at dawn and they also estimated that that the flight height that the birds had been at all night long at that Place near Cleveland would have been high enough to see over Lake Erie, so maybe the reason they didn't observe a dawn ascent there is that the birds could already see over Lake Erie from that height. That's that's definitely possible.
1: Yeah, Lake Erie is the narrowest. That's the narrowest study site that they had, basically.
0: So when dawn comes, the the birds uh, increase in altitude. And just to give you a rough sense, it seems like they're increasing altitude by somewhere in the vicinity of a thousand feet, um, two hundred fifty to four hundred meters, or two hundred sixty-five to four hundred meters. So it's a pretty significant climb. Um, But the other thing that the birds seem to be doing at dawn is that they change the direction that they're flying. And this article uh, found that the birds seem to change direction to turn more towards a near shore. So remember the near shore is if a bird is flying along and it's over land and then it starts out over a lake. That shore that it just crossed, when it sort of left the land and started over the water, that's the near shore. So what the study found is that when dawn came, the birds climbed and then they turned to head back towards that near shore, uh, rather than continuing on across. Now it wasn't all the birds, it's sort of an average direction uh, of all the birds that the radar is picking up. So there could be some individual birds that are still continuing over the lake, and some that turn, you know, right around and come straight back and some that sort of go. But, but on average, the birds seem to turn direction, sometimes by a fair bit, you know, 90 degrees or, or more um, and come back towards a near shore. Uh, and this was, was seen at all three of the radars. Um, one of the interesting things, though, is that they didn't see a difference in how much birds turn based on whether the birds were over land or over water. So all the birds turn in the morning, but they turn even if they're still over the land. And so this kind of didn't make much sense to me. I mean, if you think about it from a bird's perspective, it's easy to understand that if you're flying along sort of in the middle of night, you're cruising, dawn comes, you see that you're just starting a big crossing over a big body of water. And so you fly up a little bit higher and you see that far shore and you realize how far away it is. And you say, no, I'm going to turn around and go back to that shore back there. That makes sense. But why would a bird over land also turn uh, at dawn like that? That's what this this study seemed to find, um, that the birds over land were still making that sort of average turn um, when dawn came. And, then, and there's no clear explanation for that, I don't think.
1: Yeah, that's pretty peculiar, especially when you consider that they found that... Um in the middle of the night, there, birds were flying at the same height over land and water. But then uh, at dawn, the birds over the water are the ones who are making that ascent, not the birds on land. So there is a difference in the ascent height, the flight height um, at dawn between birds that are over land and birds that are over the water. But then they both seem to make the same directional shift, which seems peculiar and also kind of muddles or complicates that vantage point theory we were just talking about where birds are trying to ascend to get a a good view of the lake.
0: So I'm just looking back over the article to to look at this to make sure we're getting this right and definitely says that that um, there was no difference in the direction no no statistically significant difference in the direction that the birds were flying at uh, over land versus over water. So I guess that's a little different than saying that the birds over land turned just as much as the birds over water. What, what they're mm-hmm. actually saying is that they couldn't detect a difference in the direction. But so, but so that means there might just be a little uncertainty in the estimate. So maybe, you know, the, they estimate that the birds over water are, you know, on average flying a heading of 30 degrees and the birds over land are on average flying a heading of 35. But there's some sort of like uncertainty in both of those estimates. Yeah, that's
1: a really good point, that that this isn't saying that uh, birds over land and over water are doing the same thing, necessarily. It's just that we can't find a difference in what they're doing, which is an important distinction. Or there's not a significant difference in what they're doing with the statistical power that's here. Yeah.
0: Anyway, um, so, so the birds, uh, dawn comes, the birds climb higher, and then they turn back towards land. Um, so one of the things this article is really trying to do is link the sort of behavior of birds at dawn when they're flying in that migratory flight to the actual use or patterns of stopover habitat use on the ground. Um, stopover habitat has been studied a lot and it's frequently studied in terms of, you know, the type of habitat. Um, you know, is it, is it good forest? Is it big tracts of forest? These sorts of things. Um, but this study is saying, well, their stopover habitat use could be determined not only based on, on the type of habitat, but kind of based on the decisions that the birds are making uh, sort of based on large geographic features here. So the way they tried to tie these together is that they've, they've got this evidence that the birds are changing their behavior at dawn to sort of turn back towards shore. But that doesn't mean those birds will end up uh, using stopover habitat on their near shores. It's perfectly possible that the birds might turn around, come back towards the shore, and then just fly along the shore. You know, they might not end up landing there.
1: Or fly inland for a ways. or
0: Yeah, fly yeah. inland. There's, um, they could do any a number of things after sort of coming back towards land there. So so this study tried to estimate the density of birds using that stopover habitat, not using point counts or, or some sort of on-the-ground technique, but still using radar. And what they did is they used the radar to measure the density of birds during the takeoff in the evening. so at the start of migration, sort of evening falls and a lot of these migratory birds take off getting ready to fly all night long and they looked at the radar right at the time of that takeoff. And this is visible over a few minutes on weather radars. You sort of see this big cloud of birds um, erupting off the ground. And and so they measured that with the radar and got a density estimate of how many birds there were in in an area. And they sort of assumed that the birds that the radar is picking up there had been using the stopover habitat on the ground right in that area. And that's a, that's a little bit of an assumption, a leap. I mean, it's not a huge leap, though. So, you know, the radar can't pick up birds, like, flying through the treetops or hopping along. The birds have to get high enough that the radar beam can sort of pick them up. And so so there is the possibility that the birds are kind of, like, moving through the treetops some significant distance there. But it seems reasonable enough to me to think that this, this measure of bird density right after takeoff in the evening is probably at least a pretty good estimate of where the birds spent that day.
1: Right. Yeah, so that's what makes this study different from some of the other studies. Um, Deal 2003, I think I might've mentioned earlier, they did a very similar study in the Great Lakes in terms of looking at ascent and change in flight direction, but this study is really trying to make that link between uh, the kind of migratory behavior um, in flight, and the habitat usage at stopover locations. Um.
0: So what they they found is that the density of birds at that takeoff time in the evening, um, within three kilometers of the shore, was forty eight percent higher at near shores um, than at far shores. So there there is a way higher bird density on the near shore of lakes than there is on the far shore of lakes. And in spring that means sort of on the first shore that the birds hit, that kind of southern and eastern shore.
1: Yeah, so that might suggest that the near shore habitat is really important for birds on migration rather than, not that far shore habitat isn't also important, but that that near shore habitat might be more valuable to more birds than the far shore habitat during the same migratory period.
0: Yeah, and that, it might, and, and that they might be using it more in part because of that decision that they make at dawn as they climb and just kind of look around at, at where they are and where the shorelines are.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So one thing that they sort of say that they couldn't figure out is how far birds fly inland before they land. So they've got birds kind of heading back towards shore from the water. And then the following evening, they've got this very dense takeoff of birds from near the shore. Um, but they're not able to sort of track individual birds or even, you know, specific groups of, of individual birds. Uh, and, and so they don't really know when a bird comes around to come back towards shore. Does it land right away? Does it move inland a ways? You know, how far does that go? Um, they do say that they think that could be studied with some sort of local portable uh, radar that might be able to get information on more local movements, sort of get birds a little lower Uh, altitude as they're coming in towards shore
1: yeah if you could pair some of that local radar study with some like ground truth point count studies i think that would be a really cool way to look at to kind of uh, make this link that they're trying to make with the evening radar proxy when birds take off
0: so the other technological limitation that they had is that the radar can't uh, pick up a lot of stuff that's really far out over the Great Lakes. So these are sort of shoreline-based radars, and their range is limited. Um, so there's really no information about um, what's happening when the birds are, are already halfway across the lake, you know, way out there over the water. They, can't, um, they just can't get the radar signals there. They especially can't get any radar information about birds flying at low altitude uh, way out over the water.
1: That would be a fun but expensive study to commission some boats to go out in the middle of the Great Lakes with these radar setups and be doing the same thing but out out much farther from shore than they can currently get.
0: One of the previous studies, this DEAL 2003 study, um, tried to look at how far out the the uh, the birds would sort of turn direction to come back, and they estimated that it's sort of within 30 kilometers of the shore. So if a bird is starting out over a lake and has only has gone less than 30 kilometers, then it might turn around and come back towards that shore. That deal study thought that once they got beyond about 30 kilometers that then they're they're not as likely to turn. And I haven't looked carefully at that study so I don't know what what kind of radar they're using but it's probably something similar. So if that's correct then it would suggest that um, you know that once the birds get a good ways out there that they're not going to turn around and come back, they just keep going on over to the other shore. Uh,
1: it also occurs to me that the idea of the importance of near shore habitat might be um, reinforced or affected by the idea that birds um, turn back towards the near shore and then stay along shore for a while before they make the crossing perhaps at a narrower point. Does that make sense?
0: Well, I mean, I think that, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Sure. maybe they come back and fly along shore, but I think that the the way higher density of birds taking off in the evening from near shores suggests that they're probably not going far along the shore at least. I mean, if, if they were flying long distances along that shore and sort of continuing to make progress on the migration that way, then you wouldn't have this 48% higher density of birds on the near shores than the far shores during the evening takeoff. And there's just way more birds taking off from that near shore than from the far shore. And that suggests that they're not following that shoreline too far. Is that what you were getting at?
1: I wasn't really talking about birds following the near shore, like turning back and then continuing to follow the near shore. Like I was talking about kind of turning back landing and then taking off and some of those follow the shore some of those make the crossing oh does that make sense yeah that
0: makes sense i guess i did look at some of the the uh, graphs and figures in the 2003 deal study and um, they were able to see that when those birds took off in the evening they did head out it's kind oh, of okay. like they were able to measure the I direction that. yeah because yeah. this is uh, this is doppler radar so they're kind of able to measure the direction that things are moving, not only where they're, I mean, that's how they get the direction measurements for the study. And so, yeah, they did show this sort of, right after evening, there's this wave, really dense wave of birds moving out over Lake Erie, if I'm recalling that deal study correctly. I'd have to go back and check it for sure.
1: I would be really interested to compare the, compare density estimates of, of near shore takeoff from like a point count, some kind of ground estimates of, of, Um, that takeoff period to the radar estimates to just see how in the ballpark those radar estimates are.
0: Yeah, I think this would be a a place where eBird data could be really useful because Mm. the nice thing about the radar is that it can cover a really large area. You know, they've sort of got NOAA, National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, has this radar data archived. And so the researchers don't have to set up new equipment and and do all that sort of thing. The data is there ready to go for a big area and they can analyze it. Yeah. To do point counts at that same sort of a scale would require a lot of, of field workers. I mean, you, you could definitely do it, and there are similar-sized programs, but you, I think you could also use eBird data and get that really large scale, you know, cover a, a good chunk of Lake Michigan, a good chunk of Lake Erie, all with existing data, um, if you could figure out how to analyze that correctly.
1: Hmm, cool.
0: So one of the things, like one of the obvious questions that this raised for me is... If there are birds that are turning around, you know, sort of seeing a big lake crossing in front of them and choosing to turn around and come back to land, is that behavior sort of uniform for all birds or are there differences based on, uh, you know, like the age of the birds or how healthy they are or the sex of the birds? You know, so there are all, like, you know, it's, it's, other studies have found that juvenile birds uh, seem to to like land right away when they get to shore after a big lake crossing in and uh, in the fall, whereas adult birds are able to keep flying a little farther inland. And so you get these differences in sort of proportions of juveniles versus adults in inland versus, versus shoreline locations. Um, and certainly, like, when we lived in Green Bay, the red-winged blackbird males would show up in the spring a full week before the females, if not earlier. Right. And the thinking for that is that sort of all these decisions about migration that birds make are some sort of a sort of risk uh, benefit, a like cost benefit type of analysis from an evolutionary perspective. And, and so the thought is that for the males, it's risky to fly north early because there might be sort of a late winter storm or there might not much, be much food left. So that's the, the potential cost. But the potential benefit is that they can get to the breeding areas, um, first and sort of have a chance to stake out the best breeding territories. Start singing on territories. The females don't have that same um, sort of motivation to take that risk because they can just wait a week or two, and then they come up when when the weather is a little more certain to be good. So they have lower risk, and then they can just choose the males that have the best territory. And so there's um, so so that same sort of a, a sort of risk. Versus reward type thing might play in here. You know, I wonder would male birds be more likely to continue on to try to get across that body of water because they have an incentive to try to get north mm. um, faster in the spring? And then, yeah, of course, the other obvious question is, does the same pattern hold in the fall? This-
1: right, and would we see that the far shore habitat is has the same density difference?
0: Uh, yeah, of course, then, in the fall, the far shore versus the near shore. That would be the near
1: shore <laughs> yeah, habitat, that, right. That,
0: that designation would switch. Yeah, of course. But that would give some insight into whether the birds are making that decision based on it being a near shore or far shore, like based on whether they're heading out over a lake or whether there's some real difference between the quality of the northern versus mm-hmm. the southern shores.
1: Yeah, right, if the southern shores just have better mm-hmm. habitat for whatever reason, and that's what's biasing their uh, landing there.
0: Incidentally, I, I doubt that they do on the Great Lakes. A right. lot of the, I think you know, the southern
1: shores are in way worse <laughs> shape than the northern shores.
0: <laughs> yeah, certainly northern shore Lake Superior has a lot of really nice habitat. I mean, the southern shore is pretty nice too, for that matter. But, but on the whole, I don't I don't can't imagine that the southern shores would be widely better than the northern shores.
1: No, I can't either.
0: So another question that this raised for me is what's the smallest water body size uh, for which you would see this dawn ascent? and that turning behavior for that matter. Um, So the Green Bay Radar that they used in this study, if I'm recalling the map in the article correctly, covers Lake Winnebago, which is a big lake, but, but, you know, really a small water body in terms of migration. There's no bird out there that couldn't easily fly across Lake Winnebago if it wanted, Uh, and, and it also covers Green Bay for that matter, which is a, you know, a really narrow um, body of water. And so. I wonder if you were able to get radar from water bodies of sort of a whole range of sizes. Is there a water body where it gets small enough that the birds don't do the dawn ascent and don't do any sort of turning behavior?
1: Yeah, it would actually even just be interesting to see the data from this study compare the, the like Cleveland and Grand Rapids sites to the like Bay of Green Bay and Lake Winnebago data.
0: Yeah, and they, they mentioned, were kind of
1: split into regions by lake size.
0: Yeah, they did mention that that um, the dawn ascent the birds flew higher based on the width of the water that they're looking at. But I don't right. actually recall them giving the sort of regression coefficients. So they didn't give the amount by which that happens. And, and but if you had that, you could sort of basically follow that straight line that they. of of that regression and figure out where, you know, sort of at what water body size the birds would not make any ascent at all. They didn't really say what that was.
1: Well, there's certainly many more opportunities to continue with these questions and future research.
0: So if you're interested in finding out more about this study, the title again is migrating birds reorient toward land at dawn over the great lakes by Kevin Archibald, Jeffrey Bueller, Jacqueline Smolinski, and Robert Smith, um, published in the AUK Ornithological Advances, volume 134, 2017, January of 2017.
1: Thanks very much for listening.
0: The funding for my PhD position comes from a project funded by Science Foundation Ireland. I'm at University College Dublin in the ecological modeling group of John Gearsley, if you want to find out more about our research in the Ecological Modeling Group, you can go to www.ucd.ie backslash